You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal. Every week, myself and my new co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, bring you all the information that you need regarding health care so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family and uh, make the decisions that you need to make um, so that uh, you get the health care uh, that you need. Um, the... Uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation supports this show, and they're the chief sponsor, and we um, are the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country standing for the doctor-patient relationship and healthcare freedom for all Americans. So you need to go to our website at www.d4pcfoundation.org and contribute whatever you can. No amount is too small nor too large and if you enjoy listening to this show while you're listening go to the website right now and just uh make a a twenty dollar contribution and uh every every dollar helps us so that we can do this show and do the good work that we're doing around the country and believe me there's a lot of work that needs to be done and we're doing it so uh we'll get right into it today um uh, the uh, I hope, first of all, that uh, everybody enjoyed uh, our new co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, who came uh, into the doctor's lounge last week and uh, introduced himself and talked about um, what his beliefs are and how he got into uh, uh, into healthcare um, uh, reform and and fighting for healthcare freedom. He and I are um, old friends. I know David is chomping at the bit, our producer, to say something. But before <laughs> he does, let me just say that Dr. Scott and I are uh, you know are, are cut from the same cloth. We were at a um, a meeting about uh, twelve years ago. Uh, talking about the dangers of Obamacare. Uh, this is before Obama actually was elected, and this was all the rage talking about how the Democrats were going to come in and uh, reform health care. He spoke after I did, and at the end of the um, at the end of the meeting, I went up to him and I just said to him, "You're with me." And from that moment on, uh, he and I were, have worked together on projects and docs for patient care and all kinds of other things, and we've come full circle to this point in time. David, you wanted to say something. Well, as you were well aware of uh, last week and what happened and uh, the fact that um – for those of you listening, David had a bad knee, and he asked me, can Dr. Scott help me? And uh, would you think it's appropriate for me to ask him? He was coming in to do his first show solo as a host, and I and I responded, of course it would be appropriate. Why wouldn't it be appropriate? First of all, that's what doctors do. Second of all, that's what Scott and I and others who really care about people are all about. As old as I am, I've I've seen a few doctors' offices in my time, and I've I've got to plug Doctor Scott Barber. And if you're in need of any kind of orthopedic, if you have any kind of orthopedic challenge, if you're in the Atlanta area, or want to fly into Atlanta? Yes, uh, it was absolutely 
I was in excruciating pain getting there, and once I got there, I was treated, uh, you know, like I was in a five-star hotel. And uh, the everybody had a smile on their face, and can I get you this? Can I help you with that? You know, I mean, they were just wonderful. And, um, you know, it was almost like they felt the pain, and uh, they were going to... You know, they kept, we're going to get you out of the pain. We're going to get rid of the pain. And it was, uh, they're great. And Scott's great. And they call it the Barber Way. And uh, every word of it's true. And if you're in need or have a friend that's in need, uh, I've already sent him somebody else. Um, and I will continue to do that. Scott and his staff are wonderful. And uh, they, I think they have either three or four locations. They have four, the, locations. four locations. He has a surgery center. You know, the, he's he's really gone up against um, some heavyweights in the Atlanta area, and um, he he can um, really excel because um, he believes, as I do, in customer service and treating people the way that you would want to be treated or you want your family to be treated and yeah so. I, I think you're i think they have the golden rule tattooed on their backs or something i'm not sure but yeah. they they yeah. were wonderful yeah well I'm, I'm delighted that he took good care of you but scott's a great co-host here on the show unfortunately he will be out next week which is his week he's uh taking his family skiing and we'll have dr mike back uh, uh he's going to prepare a podcast uh, uh new material so that uh uh there's a lot going on and uh want you to tune in and listen to dr mike and in uh two weeks i'll have my, a, a guest in in the doctor's lounge uh old friend who has written a new book and who has had a uh, an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal this week. That's uh, Sally Pipes from the Pacific Research Institute. So I hope that everybody will uh, check in. Well, there's one party that says that uh, health care is going to be free, that we don't have to pay anymore, that uh, everything's covered. And is is this right? It, I mean, it doesn't cost it, anything? Of course, everything is everything can be free. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll get into politics in a bit, but I wanted to start out. Um, I I mentioned in the last show that I would first of all, there's so much going on, and I just didn't know what to do, and I really didn't want to focus on just one subject today. I wanted to uh, uh, do a potpourri and talk about things that are happening in the news because, again, as I have predicted every single election cycle since 2008, health care is bubbling up to the top as one of, if not the most important issues that Americans are concerned about. So we'll get into that. Um, we're going to have a little bit different format um, today and maybe going forward where we'll have uh, just one uh, break in the show right at halftime. So uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to go a little bit more nonstop. I, I mentioned uh, last time I was on that I wanted to try to get somebody to come in and talk about the coronavirus and it's just really um eating up uh, a lot of the uh media um this this uh, is a very um bad virus but i i want to share a story with you and it's it really is uh uh illustrative of 
of uh, how much fear there is about this virus out there. I've in, in my practice, I have a, a partner who is uh, um, uh, an Asian guy who uh, grew up in Malaysia, and uh, he went uh, on a trip recently to Malaysia to visit his family, and he also went to Thailand, and he and he came back, and he has no symptoms. He had no exposure to coronavirus. He had no um, uh, uh, travel th- through China. And, um, and despite that, he, um, he was treated by people in my own practice inappropriately. Um, they, they knew that he traveled to Asia and there were people in my practice who did not want to work with him until he had gone through 14 days of being without symptoms. And I think that there's a lot that needs to be unpacked here and, and needs to be said and explored. So the coronavirus is not a unique virus. It's not new. SARS is a coronavirus. This is a special type of, of, of the virus that has mutated, and it's a, it's, you know, nobody's exactly sure about how it's transmitted, but people are writing about it. It's gay, it's, it, there's a policy in place, which I applaud, which is part of the Trump administration policy and being administered by a good friend of mine at Health and Human Services, where um, people who have traveled through China are being um, looked at, and if they have fever or if they have respiratory problems or shortness of breath, they're being quarantined. But if they show absolutely no evidence of illness, they are not um, to be treated like they've got the disease. And that's, that's you know, there's, there's appropriate um, precautions that people need to take. And then there's fear-mongering. And I, I really am hopeful that people will be careful. The most important thing that you can do is to um, do uh, engage in frequent hand washing, use hand sanitizer when you can, clean surfaces in public areas that you may be in, or if you are um, in a public area and you can't clean those surfaces, wash your hands or sanitize them shortly after. Try to avoid touching your face. Um, and... Um, and those are the most important uh, um, uh, preventative measures that you can take. If you have um, some symptoms like a fever, shortness of breath, um, respiratory symptoms, get checked. Um, Betsy McCoy, who we've had on the show before, who is uh, um, who has devoted her career to hospital. Um, uh, uh, based infections um, is um, and she's a political writer former uh, um, lieutenant governor of New York she she's written several pieces one in the Wall Street Journal last week um, one in um, uh, in the New York Post this week 
um, claiming that hospitals are lax and sloppy and so the hospitals need to get their act together and and do a better job um of of uh uh preventing the spread of the infection because if people are sick they should go to hospitals but the hospitals need to take the responsibility of isolating and putting people who are potential uh, potentially infected with the coronavirus into a area where they will not transmit this to people who are in the emergency room with them. That's been the most common mode of transmission of the disease outside of the um, epicenter of these outbreaks. And um, and the, going back to the example in my practice that, I, that I'm just appalled about, um, Malaysia is not even an area of concern for travel. Yes, they had seven cases in Malaysia, but they, we've had more cases in the U.S. And the the risk of getting this disease is exceedingly, exceedingly low. But it doesn't mean that you become sloppy, that you ignore common sense measures to try to contain the virus. And part of that is personal responsibility, and part of that is the hospitals, and part of that is the public health policy and the Trump administration policy of um, restricting um, travel from China at this point, not letting any foreign nationals come in to the U.S. right now who've gone through China is not xenophobic. It is not racist. It is good, common sense, public health policy. And so when you are tuning in to ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, L.A. Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, and they're saying that the Trump administration is racist and xenophobic, you know, understand, you know, where that is coming from. It's anti-Trump rhetoric, which, unfortunately, anything that comes out of Trump is bad, so the opposite must be the right approach and that is just absolute nonsense so he's doing the, the the administration is doing the right thing with travel restrictions hospitals need to do a better job our good friend scott gottlieb has written two articles in the last three weeks in the wall street journal about coronavirus stopping it before it starts and uh acting now to prevent an epidemic and you know he the it, it, and he's he's tweeting about this, so you can follow him on uh, on Twitter. He's the former um, uh, he, he's on American Enterprise Institute uh, uh, board. He's a, a internist, and he was the former commissioner of the FDA from 2017 to 2019. But there's a very easy test. He states for the um, coronavirus. It's based on using um, uh, uh, new um, uh, genetic techniques, looking for the sequences of RNA, which is uh, 
protein that um, that all organisms make, not DNA but RNA, and so Very you can acid. you can you can use you can you can get to this. Um, the CDC right now is uh, is is overseeing this, and they're not allowing commercial uh, kits to be to be disseminated but but it is uh um easily accessible in hospitals if you think you're affected and so take home message here is don't panic be smart take precautions don't um don't uh try to uh um uh, be be uh, afraid of of people because of the way they look or where their travel has been if it's anywhere um except china that's the only place where travel needs to be scrutinized and uh and the administration's doing a good job of that and i think we've contained that a bit what we don't know are secondary cases and so primary cases now are being uh are being prevented from coming in this country it's the secondary cases that that we're going to have to be on the lookout for you know al if i can interrupt for two seconds um it's like everything else like you and i were talking earlier the golden rule and if i a young lady was um going to work for me and she came in she said i'm not feeling real good and i said well go home i don't want you here if you're feeling like you've got the flu we're right in the height of the flu season and then i'm not being paranoid about her having corona i was paranoid that she had the flu and i might catch the flu for yeah, her. the and flu the flu is actually way more common um, for people to uh, contract than coronavirus. And so, uh, you know, just take care of your – think about your the person that you're going to be with. I don't know of anything. Wouldn't you rather a patient call in – well, your patients are a little bit small to call, but their parents call in and say, look, uh, Joe or, or my husband and I have the flu. Can we – Absolutely. No know, question about it. Why do you want to get your whole staff – uh, exposed. Of course, absolutely. So, you know, and and if you think that you m- might have a viral illness and you need to be out and about, wear a mask. And there's, you know, no stigma in doing that, especially now where so many people are doing it. In fact, there are shortages right now of masks because people are buying them up. And, and so hospitals wear masks need to be used are actually in short supply not to mention the fact that the majority of these medical supplies are manufactured in china so <laughs> so it's it's becoming a real problem but uh what uh what david has mentioned is absolutely right so we're gonna we're gonna do 180 and now we're going to talk about some of the um items that are in the news that are happening um, regarding health care. And as I have said and as I have uh, maintained, health care is uh, once again bubbling to the top. And you're hearing about the Medicare for All. You're hearing about um, the uh, problems with, uh, with um, price transparency and with with surprise medical billing and there's the VA health care issues that are that are stewing once again 
Um, so I'm going to try to uh, talk about a few of these things um, as they pertain to Decision 2020 because, make no mistake about it, this is a, a crossroad election for health care. And it seems like we're always saying that, that this is the most important election. This is the most consequential election. Well, let me, let me just say this. There are people on the left who wish to control your health care. They've made no um, pretense to the, to the um, opposite. They believe that they know better than you do. They believe that the government is, is um, better suited to make decisions about how you should be cared for, who should take care of you, certainly who should pay for it. They think that they should pay for it. They're telling you that, that, you know, this, this should be free, um, that everybody can get the best health care in the world and it won't cost you anything. These are fantasies. People are making this up because it sounds good and people want free stuff. But most people um, who are smart, most people who are educated, understand that there is no such thing as free stuff. And you're going to pay for it one way or the other, either directly or indirectly. Directly because you're going to be taxed more, you're going to be um, uh, paying something for for this this service that the government is going to give you. In fact, um, a uh, a report came out um, just just uh, last week that um, that the average Americans um, take home. Uh, pay, take home income will go down by um, 11%, 11% if there is Medicare for all, because there is going to be increased taxes on your personal income, increased taxes on your payroll, increased taxes everywhere across the board. People forget that Obamacare had 18 new taxes attached to it so that they could pay for this this system that wasn't even a complete government takeover. Imagine how much more taxes you're going to have to pay if if the um, if the government is in control of everything. And the people who are telling you, oh, no, no, we figured out how to pay for this, like Elizabeth Warren, for example, who's who's fading, uh, dropping like a rock in the, in the uh, in popularity. She's lying. She's lying. And, and I, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. The people who say, well, they're not telling the whole truth or they're they're you know, they're um, they're exaggerating. No, these aren't exaggerations. These are not telling the whole truth. These are flat out lies because people they know that people will um, will gravitate to messages that sound good to them young people who aren't who who are um who who have no experience in the world uneducated people for whom this sounds um like a good idea but people who work for unions um who have fought really hard who have given up a lot in terms of union dues or even 
benefits, salaries to get better benefits, all of a sudden we'll lose those in Medicare for all. The seniors, people who are on Medicare, who are who've paid into this for their entire lives. They've worked for 30 years, for 40 years, and every week from their checks were deducted money so that when they become seniors, they can get the government-sponsored health care. Now, yes, they've got to pay some for it. There, are, There's some co-sharing, some responsibility, but by and large, Medicare covers a great deal of that, that will disappear. It'll go away because Medicare will not survive under Medicare for All. Medicare for All doesn't mean that they keep Medicare for seniors and then put everybody else on Medicare. It means that everything that we know in healthcare disappears, goes away, and they create a new system where private insurance is outlawed and where you get the government telling you what uh, kind of health care you're going to get, what they're going to cover, where to go, and it's it's um, going to look a lot like England. It's going to look a lot like Canada, where there are wait lists for care, where there are restrictions on drugs that people can get, and uh, this is the choice. Everybody has a choice in November. And it's not just the president. It's it's everything down the line. Because if you've got a Congress that is not going to allow the president to fix health care, then we're going to get more executive orders, which are really good, but they lack the teeth to be able to have the effect on fixing the problems in healthcare. So let me let me kind of go through a couple of things. So Sally Pipes wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal just three days ago about Medicare for all. And she correctly states in there that Medicare for all could mean doctors for none. Just think about this for a second. Um, if the the doctors in this country they they um, they do actually you know reasonably well they are they're paid at a reasonable rate I cannot complain I've had a, a very decent life but I've worked very hard for that I've sacrificed a lot for that giving up holidays giving up family gatherings giving up personal um, events in my life so I can take care of patients that's what doctors do we, we, we understand that we accept that and and in exchange for that, doctors get paid for that. That's what you want. You want your doctor to be well paid so that they will be there to take care of you. That doesn't happen in England. That doesn't happen in Canada. You know, in so, in socialized nations, when they run out of money, healthcare shuts down. And I, I know Scandinavian doctors personally who go on holiday in October because the money ran out for the year. And so people can't get a doctor. They can't get into into see a doctor um, in, in, when at the end of the fiscal year, and and that's what's going to happen in a system where you have um, the government in charge of health care, and doctors will get um, 
under reimbursed. You know, in the um, UK, the average doctor earned one hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollars. And so, what does that mean? It means that people are not going to go into into medicine. It means that that um, they're going to go into finance. They're going to go into IT. They're going to go into law. They're going to go into fields where they can make more money, they don't have to sacrifice as much, and they don't have to have the aggravation and the headaches. Right now, there's tremendous amount of headaches and aggravation being a doctor and having to deal with all the regulations um, from the government and from insurance companies and others. Again, something that we get paid for, something that we accept, but I can tell you this right now, people are not going to go into healthcare. Right now, there's this critical doctor shortage. That's going to get worse under Medicare for All. We're going to talk about some more things in the news when we come back in the, in the second half of our show, so stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the doctor's lounge. I hope that you are enjoying the new format that we have, which is just one break at uh, mid-show. It's hopefully an attempt to get uh, a more fluid uh, conversation going, uh, more... um, uh, less less uh, choppy uh, um, presentation and and uh, and just uh, a little bit uh, a little bit more information it packed in so um, we're gonna we're gonna experiment with this and hopefully it work continues to work for everybody so th- th- this election season um, is boiling down to um, uh, either accepting the message from the left, Medicare for all, or a government option for insurance, which is a Trojan horse for a single payer system. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you have a, a, you know, the people who are calling for this are saying that we need to have the government run a healthcare insurance option. And and when that happens, the, the government underwrites that they fund this and they compete against private insurance well there's no way that 
government-run uh, health care uh, insurance company will not have an advantage over private insurance. They can undercut the prices. They print money. They can do whatever they want. And so this is just a slower way of of destroying the, our current health care system. And, and again, our current health care system has lots of problems, a lot of warts, but by and large, a new poll showed, a Gallup poll showed that 90% of Americans are happy with their health care. So this rhetoric from the left about changing to government-run care is intended to, it's targeting uh, uh, the 10% who are unhappy with their care, and it's also targeting the uneducated, the ignorant, who believe that the government can do things better than the private sector. Um, We have talked on this show about the efforts that are being um, uh, mounted to try to hold politicians accountable so that um, the issues that are important to Americans are embraced. And guess what? That is finally happening. There is now um, a, um, a coalition. It seems that all the groups that have been fighting to um, to uh, give uh, a different approach to health care are coming together. You know that we've talked about the, um, the Job Creators Network and their efforts with their initiative, Health Care for You. We've talked about the initiative of um, uh, the uh the the people the healthcare policy group in uh in Washington led by Grace Marie Turner and uh people in the healthcare um uh bubble in Washington DC I've been also working with a uh, a very committed <coughs> excuse me a very committed um uh American um, who is uh, well connected to uh, healthcare issues? Foster Freeze, and he has been uh, bringing together people of uh, uh, in all different areas in in politics and healthcare policy, trying to create a coalition of people. And let me tell you about what uh, Foster has done, which I'm very much in the middle of. He is trying to push a, a bill that will be introduced in both houses, uh, in both um, uh, the House and in the Senate, which will be what he likes to call the one-liner. The one-liner is, is intended to, um, to uh, create price transparency in health care. And um, I'll, I'll read you. I'll read to you what the bill will say. It's going to say uh, essentially that um, that all uh, uh, that uh, within ninety days of enactment of this bill, all providers of healthcare products and services shall publicly disclose on the internet and in print the point of sale cash prices of such products and services. This is shining the light 
on the very, very dark world of healthcare pricing, which the hospitals are um, are fighting tooth and nail. Why? Because they are the worst. They are the biggest culprits. They are buying up medical practices and imaging centers and laboratories because they can pretty much charge whatever they want. Now, they write off a good bit, and they, as I've said previously on other shows, <clears throat> many, over 50% of hospitals in this country are, are um, categorized as non-for-profits, so the, the more they charge, the more they write off, the more they can show the public how how benevolent they are and how much they are giving back when the, in fact they're really keeping so much of that money in in the uh, in in their own uh, business and expanding it and putting up new hospitals and and uh, paying themselves higher salaries and hiring more administrators the hospitals are fighting this tooth and nail they, they do not want to see price transparency price transparency and this this goes along with surprise medical billing, um, is um, is really the um, I think the Rosetta Stone to fixing healthcare because if people can shop for healthcare just like they shop for appliances or they shop for a car, and cars are are hard enough to shop for and there are businesses now that that have taken a lot of the a lot of the uh um uh uncertainty about pricing uh out of the equation or shopping for anything when people get to shop prices come down it's as simple as that if they cannot shop healthcare then the prices will stay up. So what happens when prices stay up? Well, when the prices stay up, insurance is high because right now in the third-party payer system that accounts for 95% of the uh, way that people get their health care, a third party is paying for your care. You're not paying for it directly. You're paying for it through your third party. And so if the care that you're receiving is is 10x and it should really be x well your insurance is picking up not 10x because they've negotiated a deal with the hospital so they may be paying 4x or 5x but if you were paying cash for that service you might have to just pay X or 2X. And that's the, that's the secret sauce for fixing health care. It would be to eventually get third-party payers out of paying for health care directly to pay for only those things that are expensive or are catastrophic or unusual just like your car you know you don't pay for you don't insurance doesn't pay for your windshield wipers or your gas or your tires 
They do pay if you get in an accident and you need, you know, major body work or your engine explodes. They'll pay for that. Other, otherwise, you pay for that. Well, that should be the case for healthcare. With cars, if you know that an oil change at the dealership costs five hundred dollars, but at Jiffy Lube it costs thirty nine ninety five, you're gonna you're gonna speak with your pocketbook. In healthcare, if you know that an MRI scan at the hospital is going to cost four thousand dollars, but at the the independent imaging center in your area, it would cost six hundred dollars. Give me a break. That's a no-brainer. That's what we don't know, and that's what this is all intended to create: a marketplace where people will, excuse me will be able to become consumers of health care just like they are consumers of everything else. When people are consumers, several things happen. Number one, they, they will hold accountable where they get their health care and they'll speak with their pocketbook. Number two, indirectly, insurance will come down. And when insurance costs come down, then all healthcare costs come down. Right now, people on the left, in their arguments for a single-payer healthcare, are using straw man arguments and false, false um, assertions. They're they're trying to claim about how we spend more of our GDP on healthcare than any other Western country, and that's true. But it's not because health care is expensive. It's because the people who are administering the care, much of it now coming from hospitals, are gouging the system. So are middlemen who are getting money, putting themselves in the middle of health care services between patients and the services that they get. And they are they are um, they are gaming the system and extracting money. Many of these middlemen are the people who stand in the middle of you and the drugs you receive. The pharmacy benefit management companies. Some of these middlemen are brokers who are not acting as fiduciaries for you the person buying insurance, but instead trying to sell you the most expensive insurance policy because the insurance companies are paying them handsome fees for selling their insurance products to you. It's, it is just amazing to me that people cannot understand, they cannot see that we don't have a crisis on our hands because healthcare is too expensive. We have a crisis on our hands because we've got too much murkiness in the system. And when we shine the light on these on these people, on these entities, just like 
when you shine the light in your in in you know in a warehouse and the cockroaches go scurrying all over the place and get out of the light the same thing will happen when we shine the light of knowledge about what things cost on the american public and when they know how much a hospital is charging then they can make decisions about where they want to go when they know how much something is going to cost, they can make a decision whether or not they want to get that service done and where they want to get it done. When people know um, how much a drug um, actually costs, then they can shop for those drugs. My cousin was on Medicare Advantage and was getting testosterone injections because he's he's all he's in his he's 70 and he he has low testosterone he want he he um his doctor um recommended that and on medicare on medicare advantage he was having to pay 225 dollars a month for his testosterone and i and and why and i looked at him and i said are you nuts this doesn't cost that much money and I showed him on on online a coupon through a website, GoodRx, that he could take to any pharmacy and get his testosterone for $45. But the insurance company that he, it, my cousin, was going through as a Medicare Advantage customer, they own the pharmacy benefit management company that was skimming off money and 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 raping him and others and charging more money for something that should cost a fraction of what he was paying if the light is is turned on and people know how much things cost they can become consumers they can make smart decisions and prices Will come down, and and healthcare will not be a major part of our GDP. It will not be the we will not be the highest market in the world as far as healthcare is concerned. We are because government has allowed these special interests and allowed and given special breaks to people and entities that should know better that were given great responsibility and who have have breached that that responsibility have have abrogated their responsibility to the public what do you think is going to happen when we have more government involved in health care do you think it's going to get better or do you think it's going to get worse you don't have to have an education beyond beyond sixth grade to be able to answer that question and people who are are supporting more government have an agenda and they're either they're either ignorant they are either um, conflicted or they've got an agenda and and some of them are are they mean well and they are just so sickened by the system 
but they have not educated themselves about what is possible. And what is possible is what's going on right now, holding people accountable in government to reduce regulations, to improve the um, the consumer experience, and to um, bring healthcare decision making back to people instead of third parties. And it's when when um, there is more and more distance between patients and the care that they get, the more expensive it is, not the less expensive, the worse it is and the less choice there is. You know, we've been living under a psychological warfare, if you want to look at it that way. We have been brainwashed into thinking the more expensive it is, the better it is. I go back, and as well as you do, back to generics. What a hard sell that was to say this drug that's generic is as good as the original. And we were told, oh, no, you got to buy the, the OAM, you know. You can't buy a generic. Right. And we've been brainwashed. The more you pay, the, the more a hospital mm-hmm. charges, the better care you're getting. Yeah, and, and look, all you have to do is just look at the marketplace. Today, you can buy a 50-inch flat-screen color TV for about $300. 20 years ago, that same TV cost $4,000. Do you think that (coughs) the prices came down because people knew less about how much something cost? or more, do you think that the quality in this 20-year period has gotten worse or gotten better? This is, this is really you know, just common sense, market-driven economics, and healthcare is, is part of <coughs> the market-driven economy. It's 20%, excuse me, I'm fighting a cold and I do not have coronavirus. <coughs> we are, we are, healthcare is part of this economy. And, um, and for people to say that healthcare is a right, which is what the left is now saying, are the same people who um, would like you to believe that housing is a right, that food is a right, that basic human needs are rights. When they become rights, then the government, they're saying that the government is responsible for that. And when the government becomes responsible for your basic needs, they not only can give you those needs, they can also take them away. And so you do not want the government responsible for your health care. You want to be responsible for it. It's no surprise that with this push toward health care transparency, towards um, holding politicians accountable to make sure that that is enacted and that hospitals are punished for not disclosing that there are people 
on their staff who are going to be involved in the patient's care who are outside of a network that the hospital is claiming they are part of, that is that is just wrong. Let me say this again. Surprise medical billing is right now a, uh, a huge issue where people are getting bills from doctors because they are not part of an insurance network. Why are they not part of an insurance network? Well, there's two reasons. Either they're thrown off the network by the insurance company so that they can create, quote, narrow networks, which is one of the insurance company tricks to control pricing, or the insurance companies have um, they have negotiated unfairly with doctors and given them uh, rates that they they can't possibly accept to be able to stay in business. That's why doctors don't join um, insurance networks. And so if you go to a hospital and the hospital says, oh, yes, I'm part of the XYZ insurance network, and you go there thinking, oh, great, everything's going to be covered. Well, they get their care, they get their they get uh, um, their their operation, and then they get a bill. They get a, may get a bill from the emergency room first because the emergency room doctors may be out of network. Then they get a bill from the anesthesiologist because the anesthesiologist was out of network. These aren't necessarily people that the patients have been able to investigate like the surgeon. It's easy to find out if the surgeon is in network because they're the one who is... is uh, directly responsible for your care and you can check on them but then you've got others in the system who are part of that healthcare experience who may not be part of the network the emergency room doctor the anesthesiologist the pathologist whomever well hospitals should have to disclose whether or not there are people who are going to be involved in your care who are out of network, and you need to know that so that you can find out how much it's going to cost and make the decision whether or not you want to go to that hospital. And the hospitals are being dishonest, and they're not telling people the facts that are are necessary for them to make these decisions. And one of the um, actions that are being uh, uh, that that people are hoping will be taken by a Congress that is not obsessed with impeaching a president is to work together to hold hospitals accountable and make sure that under no circumstances can they portray themselves as being in network if there are people in their hospital who are going to be delivering some aspect of the care who are not part of the network. The American Hospital Association, the lobbying group for the hospitals in this country, no surprise, are suing the Trump administration because of the executive order that that President Trump signed, which is the transparency and coverage rule, which forces hospitals to disclose rates that they've negotiated with insurers to end secret pricing and this has been inspired by the surprise medical billing issue 
and um, and so the hospitals are fighting tooth and nail to keep secret prices. And you need to know this. You need to fight this, and you need to not agree to support people who are not behind making health care more accountable to you, not less accountable. And government-run health care is less accountable. With this, coupled with this, is a push around the country to get rid of the certificate of need laws, the hospital monopoly uh, laws, the laws that hospitals are um, trying to fight tooth and nail these for profit these non for profit hospitals using money that they should not be using to lobby to retain certificate of need laws which prevent competition from coming into the marketplace. So certificate of need laws are gaining uh, ground trying to abolish them in states all around the country. In Michigan, um, there have been certificate of need um, uh, reforms that have been proposed. South Carolina is is doing this. Virginia just had a big debate, unfortunately, with a Democrat-run uh, state government. This got thrown out. And so here we are. We're at the crossroads. This is where we started the show. The crossroads are more government, less accountability, more expense, less choice, greater weights, less doctors, worse health care outcomes. That's the Democrat side. The Republican side is more accountability, less regulations, more competition, and better choices. You don't have to you don't have to be a a healthcare policy expert to know the difference. And if you're a union member, if you're a senior, if you are an American, you cannot if you if you love the ability to be able to make choices and healthcare freedom, it is quite obvious that um, this binary choice has to be made by the majority of Americans to work towards fixing health care. And fixing health care does not mean destroying health care as we know it. It means taking our most excellent health care system in the world, which is is letting down maybe about 10% of people and finding a way to fix things for those 10% and making it better, less expensive, and um, more accessible for the 90% of people who are generally satisfied with their health care. So in two weeks, I'm going to be back with my special guest, Sally Pipes from the Pacific Research Institute. She's uh, she's just a absolute sweetheart because she gets up at uh, at four forty five a.m. on the West Coast, so she could be on this show uh, live at eight a.m. on the East Coast. 
and she's going to talk about her new book, False Premise, False Promise, which I highly recommend. You can get it on Amazon, and she's going to talk about uh, the disastrous reality of Medicare for All. So come come back to, to our show in two weeks to hear Sally and join us next week when Dr. Mike is back for a special appearance in a podcast on the Doctor's Lounge. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.